When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 80 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known as DCU. And so far this year, DCU has donated to 119 food banks and pantries with a total donation of over $2.1 million. Their commitment to the community doesn't stop at feeding the hungry either. They have passionately supported numerous school programs, hospitals, veterans organizations, and other worthy causes that are doing their part to help individuals and families in need. Veterans organizations provide important ongoing support to the brave men and women who have served our country and recognizing the special sacrifices that both veterans and their families have made. DCU's goal is to honor and support our military heroes by continuing to fund new opportunities in the areas of health, employment, and housing through partnerships with local, regional, and national organizations. And this is especially close to me because I've been working with DCU on projects like that for decades now. I've seen the work they do up close and personal, and I could not be more honored to have them involved with the Mistress Carrie podcast. Just a quick reminder that the holidays are coming up quick. And if you're looking for that last minute gift for the music fan in your life, give them a little Mistress Carrie. Check out the official online store at mistresscarrie.com. Okay, this week's episode is one of my favorite people. Tyler Connolly from Theory of a Dead Man. I have known him for years. Matter of fact, he was on episode 34 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And now we're at episode 80 and it comes out every week. So it's been a while since we've caught up. And it sucks because he's in town and I can't go and sit down and do the interview in person because the band is in a COVID bubble. Every time we get together, we always have a great time talking about the most random things, and this episode is no different. He talks about the band dealing with COVID and postponing shows and being quarantined in a hotel. We talked about the Beatles and the strange new hobbies he's taken up with all of the downtime because of the virus. We talked about songwriting and the rock music he grew up listening to. And we also came up with a couple brilliant ideas that, well are in the very early planning stages. Tyler Connolly is so much fun and he's always good for a laugh and I love having him on the show. So allow me to introduce you again to Tyler Connolly from Theory of a Dead Man. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, 
Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed. You're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed, Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to, you have the privilege of listening to Mistress Carrie. This meeting is being recorded. Don't oh, say anything no, leave funny. Meeting. Leave meeting. No, don't leave the meeting now. You're being recorded, Tyler. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. It's good to see it's you. It's cold outside. Well, I feel really weird because you're in my town mm-hmm. and you're in a COVID bubble because you're on tour yep. and I can't see you. Yeah, and we had uh, we had four guys that got COVID uh, a few weeks ago too. So now we're just like super locked down. Won't even see people. We're just uh, it's crazy. But yeah, it, we're in Worcester, so I got to learn how to say everything properly, you know. Because if I'm 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 in I'm in Worcester, I got to go grab me some cod and just go down to Harvard <laughs> Yard and Kaka. I don't know. There's a that's terrible. This is the the <laughs> sentence that I tell everybody if they're trying to master like the 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 Boston accent. Um, hurry up and make supper, you fucker! I'm wicked starving. Let's have grinders. That's right, wicked. You get to say wicked, wicked all the time, right? Yeah, wicked starving. Yeah, I'm, I'm wicked starving. There you go. Somebody will bring and you somebody, food if you say that to them. And someone in your family has to be named Donnie or Maki or Ma- Mark or Donnie or Fitzy, something like that. Sully. Fitzy. <laughs> yeah i'll have to try some on stage tonight and people will be like going to this going don't stop stop yeah well i'm coming to the show tonight but i felt like i should i i i needed to like have a boom box out of your window or something because normally when you're in town and you guys are out on the road i get to come and see you like yeah. like not physically watch the band but actually come and say hi and see how you're doing and you guys are like her- hermetically sealed right now so i was like well i want to at least be able to say hi and talk to you and see how you're doing i know um we can we can say hi through some masks <laughs> hi yeah it's so weird it's it is so weird, weird. We did a show in Jersey last night, which was close to Manhattan. So we had a bunch of management come out and it was the same thing. They kind of stood outside our bus. It was just <laughs> like, were they all in the iron lung or something? It was just so weird. I don't know. It's so crazy because when you hear stories of people that, that got it and got really sick, like you listen to Jonathan Davis talk about it, or like Mark Lanigan from The Screaming Trees just wrote a book about it because he ended up in a coma and went deaf because of COVID. It's, and then some people don't even get affected at all. It's a crapshoot. Yeah, it's just so weird. Uh, yeah, uh, the guys that got it all had symptoms, but it was like getting a cold, cough and cold, so luckily they were fine. But yeah, our bus driver said he had covid and he was like bedridden for 10 days and his lungs sound like they would like crackle. He didn't know if he was going to live. And they, and I'm like, Oh my God. So yeah, it's uh, it's interesting being a singer too. Like I'm a bit of a, uh, like a germaphobe, uh, a hypochondriac, you know, like I know miles is as well from 
you know, Miles Kennedy, he's like a, he's, he's got hand standing with him all the time. So, and he's gotten COVID as well. I know Miles got COVID. So yeah, I just talked to him. I talked to him recently and I said, yeah, you guys were all, you know, doing whatever. Then you started popping positive and, he thought that phrase was very funny and said, maybe they'll name the next record pop and positive. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I heard, I heard about them. They were recording the record. Yeah. I think in, uh, wherever they were in Nashville or something. And all of a sudden they all started, the whole band got it. I think. Uh, so yeah, just, you just never know, but yeah, being a singer, I'm a little freaked about it. Well, I was going to uh, ask you about that because Wolfgang Van Halen talked about, you know, being super careful because, you know, he's like, I'm not worried about dying. I'm worried about not being able to sing. I'm worried about yeah. not being able to do my job and having some kind of long-term effect. So that's kind of the thing you're talking about. Yeah. Like we, you know, we, we had a contingency for uh, a COVID outbreak in our camp, you know, our tour manager budgeted for it. Uh, but we missed six shows, which we're going to make up next year, thankfully. Um, but, they said, you know, if anyone else gets it, the tour is canceled because you can't financially continue to just sit in hotel rooms and wait for people to test negative. It costs so much money. You just So, yeah, being a singer, I can't. The guys know we can't fly in someone else to sing. It's just the tour. So that's there is a little bit of stress on me uh, every day. I wake up and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And yeah, there is the weird thing of like being a singer, like how will it affect me, you know, down the road? Will I not be able to sing for three months, six months? We're going to go in and make a new record, uh, you know, pretty quick here. So, yeah, it's just, uh, but everyone's got their kind of thing. Everyone's probably, you know, a lot of different jobs probably worry about it too. Or maybe not. And the, the thing with canceling shows, everybody that I've been talking to is talking about next year. And mm-hmm. literally every band is going to be on the road. So then you've got this whole thing where if you want to postpone gigs, how are you going to make them up in venues that are packed that have no available opportunities for you to come back to town? Oh, yeah. Our agents is, I mean, all the agents, I'm assuming, they're just ripping their hair out because they're just trying to find, you know, we got a fifth hold on this venue on this day. It's just four other acts that have a hold on it before you do. Trying to book the same day for your tour. And then you have, you know, fans that have spent money uh, on your ticket and you keep pushing it. You don't cancel it. You just keep postponing it. And of course people move, they forget, they, you know, like, and it's, uh, they've spent the money. So we, we feel bad. We, we just like, you know, so yeah, the whole thing is just a, it's a mess. It's just, we're all trying though. We're all grinding out here. (laughs) I keep telling everybody, this is the year to either buy someone you love concert tickets or ask for concert tickets as a gift because there are going to be so many shows next year. We're not going to be able to possibly afford to go to all the shows we want to. So why not ask for tickets as a gift? Because to me, it's the perfect holiday gift. Yes, that is a good gift. And you're right. I, you know, I, I was, it would be a great idea is to actually next year would be a fantastic time to put a bunch of bands together. Rather than doing every band going out, why don't they just do a big tour with like six bands on a bill? I mean, I'm we're down to do it. So I don't know. I don't know how that work out, but 
Like I mean, now's I'm, the time. Like these big co-headlining tours seem to be doing really well, right? Like you look at yep. the Green Day Hell Omega tour this summer. You look at bands like Volbeat and Ghost going out together, Hailstorm and Evanescence. You mm-hmm. can play in bigger venues. You it it gives the fans a bigger bang for their buck to be able to go and see more bands that they love. Maybe we'll throw it out there and see if we can put a a theory tour together with a bunch of your friends. You got, I mean, yeah, you should, you should, you could do it. Why don't you have your own festival? You could probably start something like Ozfest. Mistress. It's be like Mistress Fest. Bitch Fest. Yeah. The bitch Fest would actually be great. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to name it that though. I couldn't name it that. No, no, I, of course. Yeah. I, I would name it that. It's totally fine. So That'd be wait, amazing. You wait, you said you were going to work on a new record. So have you guys been yeah. writing stuff while you've been touring? Tell me what's going on. Yeah, so I mean, the, the label's got the songs, and we're ready to go. I'm going to go home, write some more after this tour is over, December twentieth, and write for a bit, and then we're going to do the makeup shows in February. Uh, I think it's about a month. I think we'll probably go on. They'll probably release all those dates. I think before Thanksgiving, um, and then we'll, hopefully we'll go in the studio in March. And but I, yeah, the songs are great. Like we. We've got a lot of uh, a lot of the tracks have gone back to more of uh, guitar, uh, car, guitar driven kind of songs. Really cool. There's a lot of like kind of grunge sounding songs, which I'm excited about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, our 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 guys have already been playing some stuff for people. Ironically, I got a call from somebody. And it's like, I heard the song. And I'm like, what the hell's going on over there? <laughs> They're not even recorded yet. What the fuck? Yeah. So that's a good sign. We always see that as being a good sign. So I think uh, we just want to get in the studio and so we can get this stuff out. Well, so, last time I talked enough. to you, the band was kind of scattered everywhere and everybody was locked down. You and I were going over our zombie doomsday apocalypse uh, yeah. planning and stockpiling. What was it like for you guys to finally be able to like be all in the same room again? It's the weirdest feeling because it felt like no time had passed. We got on the bus and it was just the weirdest thing, like as, as if we'd only been gone for maybe two or three months. And we just said that the other day. We're like, this is so weird. It doesn't feel like because you have conversations with people and you're like, when did we have when was that last time we played? It was like a year ago. When was that? You're like a year ago, dude. We've been sitting at home for almost two years. You're like, oh my God. Has it really been that long? It's like, yeah. So our last tour was uh, you know, Jan- we went out January of 2020. So it's been almost two years. It's crazy. Did you guys write the songs that you're talking about while you were all separated? Or is this music something that you guys have worked on since you got back together? No, it's all stuff that we did when we were at home. It's used pretty much me and uh, Joe, the drummer, will uh, send stuff back and forth. So he'll put drums on stuff and send it to me. And, and then he puts bass on some stuff, too. And then, then we sent it to the label. Yeah, but it's a lot of stuff. We don't really write on the road. It's just when we're out here, we usually just play Anshell 22. And uh, everyone's just lazy. It's AF. Everyone's lazy out here. We just, there's not a lot of motivation. <laughs> that's what's that's what's been going on now. Just video games back on the bus. Watching TV. Yeah, I mean, we had, I mean, we all sat in hotels for uh, 10 days when the guy said COVID we left and we all, and I, I just went and bought a guitar. Dean went and bought a bass 
at Guitar Center just so we could just play, just have something in my hand, just while watching TV in my hotel room. And like, you know, I, sh- I should write some songs for these ten. <laughs> write anything. What a novel concept for you. <laughs> yeah, just write a song. It's the perfect time. I mean, I could have a story. I could be like, hey, man, this, this cheap guitar I bought at Guitar Center, I wrote this smash hit on. No, nothing happened. I just watch TV. Lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, a lot has changed as far as um, like my podcast and stuff since the last time I talked to you, because we we talked a long time ago. And um, what's something that you started doing, fell in love with a new habit or something that you kind of developed or learned to love because of all of the isolation and the downtime you had? Like outside well, of music. Every, yeah. Well, everyone's became obsessed with jigsaw puzzles. Like if you went on Amazon and tried to get a jigsaw puzzle, you couldn't get it. It was like out, out of, you know, like sold out and, you're, and you're, or it'd be like 50 bucks for some jigsaw puzzle of like a bear or something. And you're like, what is going on? And then you hear from people like, oh man, I just started getting into jigsaw puzzles. I'm like, no shit. So I don't know. I started doing jigsaw puzzles, um, which is not really a hobby. I don't know. But I did do this thing for my mom which is hilarious. You know, you ever seen like those rugs? I think it's called like the hook. You get like the, it's like a big rug and you have to get the hook, hook and, and loop. each one through. And then it hook and loop. I made a hook and loop rug for my mom. And it's like a horse. And I swear it took almost all of COVID to, to finish. It was insane how long it took me. And I got to the point where like, I didn't want to finish it. I was going to like send it to her half finished and be like, hey, mom, let's do this project together. <laughs> but I finished it and I sent it to her and she loves it. I think she's, she said, it's too good to put on the floor. I'm going to frame it or something. But that's pretty much what I did. I knitted. That's rock star right there. Please tell me that you have pictures and why are they not I on do. social media? Because I didn't say I them. do. I did like, I did like the, you know, the time lapse thing. I, I did a video of a time lapse. How I did sent I it miss this? I <laughs> They put it on social media, but it showed me from like the beginning and then show the horse slowly being like knitted. They went up. Will you please put this up on Instagram or something? Because we need to see your hook and loop horse rug. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just turning into what's his face. Who is that? Bob Ross. I'm going to become Bob Ross. Did you watch that documentary? No, I want to see that. Talk about his family and how crazy it was. It's. Yeah, you're you're gonna be like angry after you watch it. Yeah, I went angry down at this, Bob Ross. No, angry at his family and the people that uh, are like around the whole. I went down this documentary rabbit hole where I just started watching a lot of music documentaries. Like I watched the David Geffen one and the Ahmed Erdogan one, and um, okay. you know, just started watching all of this kind of stuff. And you know, that was one of the ones that everybody told me I should I should watch, and it's. You know, I'm starting to find the the end of like Netflix in the inter- in the internet though because I've just been. You're at the very end. I'm psyched for all of this Beatles. You're watching stuff to subtitled come out. shows now. Yeah, well, I watched Squid Game. Squid Game, yeah, of course. That yeah. was I watched that the first day it came out. Did you watch the three, two, one, uh, Paul McCartney, Rick oh, Rubin one? I loved it. Did you love it? I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I was texting people while I was watching. I was texting producers. I was texting Howard Benson. I'm like, have you seen this three, two, one? I mean, come on, dude. I mean, if you're in music at all, or if you're a songwriter, it's kind of like almost like sad how amazing they were. And, you know, they talked about how 
the Beatles had three hours to write and record a song in Abbey Road. And Rick Rubin was like, so did you ever go in there and just not finish the song? He's like, no, never. He's like, so you actually wrote and recorded a song in three hours? Like, yep. And I'm like, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But it's, uh, I love it. I love the G. It really motivates you to try to write a song. But instead, I'm not going to. I'm going to watch the Bob Ross documentary. Well, you know what was mind-blowing for me watching that whole thing? Um, first of all, on the podcast, since you and I talked last, it seems like every musician I talk to, it doesn't matter the genre or whatever, the Beatles always come back. So I feel bad for anyone that subscribed to the Mistress Carrie podcast that hates the Beatles because they literally just come up on every episode in some way, shape, or form. But the mind-blowing part of that 321 series for me was when Paul McCartney was talking about the successful kind of melding of the cynicism and the darkness of John Lennon and Mm -hmm. the hope and the positivity of McCartney and how they both traced back to their upbringing. Yeah. And that if you have a happy melody and John Lennon's kind of, you know, cynicism in the lyrics, or you have a, a, like a down kind of depressing kind of song with Paul McCartney's kind of uplifting lyrics. It's that dichotomy that makes mm-hmm. the Beatles music so unbelievable. And since he said that, I've listened to the music completely differently. Yeah. Well, they make a perfect human being. You've got the dark and the, and the light of everybody. And that's why I think Day in the Life is the, probably the best song ever recorded, Day in the Life. Uh, because it's half, it's half uh, John Lennon and half Paul McCartney. And the song actually is in like E minor, of course, with John Lennon, and then when it goes to the middle part, it goes to an E major, and then it's all of a sudden Paul McCartney comes in. It's just the, you listen to it like, okay, this is like the epitome of how, you know, it's just how being a human being, it's crazy. But yeah, you're right. You nailed it. Uh, you just answered the question that I was going to ask you. So a couple of weeks after you and I talked the first time, I talked to the Royal Blood guys, and I kind of asked him yeah. this question off the cuff. And it's turned into a question I ask everyone that it's a songwriting question about a song from any genre and any artist that as a songwriter, you believe is an example of perfect songwriting and you wish you wrote it because it's so brilliant in its craft. And I was going to ask you an example of what you think perfect songwriting is. And you just answered the question with a day in the life. Would that be your answer? Yeah, Yeah, that's it. Stay in life. You know, it's awesome is we actually, when we record our last record in London, uh, we got a private tour of Abbey Road Studios. And at the very top, they've got a mastering studios. And they actually have like this machine that actually makes the rec, like it has a record player and actually scribes the record while you're there and puts it on a record. And he's like, you want to listen to something in here? I'm like, yeah, day in the life which was recorded in, we went in, it was recorded there in Studio B, I think, or whatever, but he's like, all right. And then he cranked up Day in Life on these massive speakers. And at the very end, he cranked it up. So it was all this hiss. And he said, he's like, listen, you can hear where, and you know, I can't remember, someone, someone moved, turned on their seat and you can hear like, a, and some go, Shh. and it's just because they just don't, it's just like one take, it's just phenomenal. Like we actually got that. I think I was almost crying and listening to this thing, like where they recorded it. It was just, uh, yeah, that's my all time favorite written song right there. 
It's so funny when you go back and listen to some of those Beatles records that they left those little imperfections. Like, I talked to Miles yep. about this, that, like, rock and roll has to have those imperfections for it to be rock and roll. And, like, that verse in Oobladee Oobladee that they reversed the lyrics by accident and and everybody thought it was, like, this statement about, like, cross-dressers and, like, all this stuff. <laughs> and it was just a mistake about Desmond yeah. putting on his pretty face that they, it was an accident and they were just, like, just leave it in there. Like, nobody will notice. Yeah. And everybody thought it was this big political statement. It's because they only had three hours. So they're just like, forget it. We don't have more time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we uh, last two records, we really worked on that a lot with Martin Tereffi, where he was, he's just, you know, we worked in London and just the way they do things over there is, is everything is, 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 is mistakes. So we record everything live. The band record together all in the same room. And like, we would do a take. And he would be like, that was, that was, that was great. I think that was the take. And then someone would be like, Oh, I hit a, I hit a bum note or, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be playing piano. And like I hit a bum. He's like, no, 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 no. That's it. That's the take. And we would keep it. So the stuff you hear, if someone hits a bum note or is a little behind, it's all kept, nothing is cut and pasted. And that's how it should be. It's, I listen to a lot of music nowadays and it's so perfect that it's almost, it's hard to listen to because it's all so perfect. <laughs> It's not human anymore. We're not robots, you know? Well, that's what Miles was talking about because they recorded the new Slash record in the way that you're talking about, that live yeah. kind of sound. And he was like, you know, imagine going back and listening to, like, those old blues records and stuff and having them all be perfect. Like, the soul would be stripped out of all of that early rock and roll if it were recorded in the way that a lot of people record music now. And you're right. You're talking about you know, the soul of it, the human element of it, which is what makes it why we love it so much. Yeah. It's the, it's why we relate to it. It's the, I mean, that's probably part of the being cathartic is, uh, is being able to push record and then put everything out on tape or pro tools, whatever. And then, and then people get to listen to it, how we hear it, not be all edited and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get back there. We'll get back to the Beatles somehow. Well, that's where I think rock and roll is going, is that I think it's gotten to the point where what I'm noticing is that a lot of the newer bands coming up are reverting back and and trying to, to like, be rebellious by being old school. You know, yeah. that they're just going back to the essence of where rock came from because that's how you rebel against technology and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm here for it. I'm happy about it. Yeah. We had a song on our, our third record. We recorded the song called sacrifice. And I remember we recorded it and it sounded so huge. It sounds so like we recorded it in a basement or something and we loved it. We're like, let's keep this. And they sent it off uh, to the editor who goes and cleans stuff up and tightens up you know, drums and stuff like that. And we got it back and, we're, and it was gone. This whole life was gone. We're like, what happened? What, ha what happened to it? It's because everything was locked together. You don't get this. You don't feel like the drums are pushing and, and the bass is maybe laid back and, and everyone has their personalities. And so we sent it back and he, he wouldn't put everything back. So it was all loose. And then it sounded, I mean, that's how it sounds on the record. It sounds way better. Why do you think that that's how they're recording in England? Like, what is it about recording over there that is, is that way? I don't know. I mean, it could just be that producer, but I did notice other producers over there too. It just tend to be like, 
auto-tune, you know, they, they were like kind of against a lot of this stuff. Like you weren't allowed to change any of the strings on the guitars or basses. You couldn't change the heads on the drums because you're like, well, no, why would you change the snare drum? Because I'm sure the Beatles never did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds way better. It just does. It just, everything sounds so good. And you, I remember recording the States and everything is brand new. And you record the drums and after like five or six takes, the snare would kind of detune. You'd have to stop and go in and tune up the drum again and because it's brand new and it had this kind of pingy sound to it that you'd have to try to muffle. And I don't understand it, but uh, we have a lot to learn from England, I think. Could you help yourself being there and and could you keep from going into the crosswalk? Because I've only been to London once. I was there on a 14-hour layover, and I had some British military friends that I had met in Afghanistan that met me at the airport, picked me up, and took me on a whirlwind tour of the city. And they were like, where's the first place you want to go? And I said, Abbey Road. I want to go. I signed the wall outside the the studio because everybody else has. There's, like, graffiti all over the wall outside the studio. So it's somewhere on Abbey Road Studios' wall. It says Mistress Carrie was here. And then... I had to get in the crosswalk. Like, I, I, I was compelled. It was like this gravitational pull that I had to get in the crosswalk and take my picture. Did you do it? Uh, we tried. The thing is, like, it's a very busy street. And so uh, people don't care. They, people driving the cars are just sick of tourists trying to do the walk. And they're just, they'll just drive right through you. So I think we tried, and, and cars just did not want to do it they just would just wouldn't stop for us it was <laughs> yeah they they are yeah, you just do so you done there. with it they're like really yeah, fucking assholes get out of the road yeah because they're you know we've been there a couple times and and each time there was there was a bunch of people there taking photos and trying to do the walk and their cars are just like enough <laughs> yeah they've had enough i've got places to go yes the places to go they drive on the wrong side of the road as well. So. Yeah, which I could never do. I don't know how people do it. It makes me so weirded out at the thought of it, especially getting into a rotary the wrong way. Ah! Oh, my God. Imagine imagine if you're like, hey, I want to rent a car for the day in, in London. And then, yeah, and then you have to do those roundabouts or something. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah, I don't. Could you even do that? Could you rent a car in London? I guess you could. I I guess. I don't know. Uh, it, listen, you're in Massachusetts. They're called rotaries, not roundabouts. Oh, rotaries. Okay. Is that what you call them over here? How would you say it? Rotary. A, was it a wicked? Is it a wicked rotary, though? Well, that was, oh, man. It was a wicked rotary. <laughs> That's terrible. It's not good. All right. Yeah, rotary. I like that. One of the other things I started asking people, and I want you to tell me um, your take on it, I feel like when we grow up, we get exposed to like the music from the people that are around us. So obviously parents, older siblings, the cool aunt and uncle, whoever. And then there's this line where you discover your first kind of band or song or something on your own. And that becomes yours. So when you were growing yep. up, what was it that you were exposed to? Like, what was the soundtrack? Because for me, it was the Beatles. What was the soundtrack of your kind of childhood and upbringing? And then what was that line in the sand where you were like, okay, this music is now mine? 
Yeah, it was Led Zeppelin. Probably Led Zeppelin and the Doors. It's really weird because nobody likes the Doors. If you talk to anybody in a band, they never talk about the Doors. And I don't know why. Jim Morrison was like the ultimate rock star. I mean, uh, but yeah, I remember listening to like, I remember what record it was. Maybe they had Moonlight Drive on it. But uh, it was the Doors and then Led Zeppelin 2. That album was... Uh, once I heard Led Zeppelin 2 and it was in stereo, and I remember we had one of those old pieces of furniture that had a record player in the middle of it. You know, you'd lift up the thing. I still have uh, and my it was parents. Stereo. I still have it. Really? It's got an A track and a turntable and yeah. a radio with a giant radio knob. And then it had slots to put records and like A track right. tapes in it. But it's literally like a hutch, it's a piece of furniture. Yeah, and then had like the speakers were inside the yeah. furniture on each side. I remember like listening to Whole Lot of Love and the guitar solo was like, I'm like, this is crazy. But that was it for me. I heard that and that was it. Um, yeah, it was definitely Led Zeppelin 2 and then The Doors. And yeah, there, I did not know a lot of people that liked The Doors, but for some reason I had this massive attraction to something with Jim about Jim Morrison. I think it was maybe Ray, Ray Manzarek and his, like his continental or whatever box he used that, that keyboard and then, 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 sounds so much like a circus or something. And then Jim Morrison was kind of this acid trip. Everything about him was just like, I don't know. He just sang like he was always on some sort of drug, which he was. And I just paired with that Ray Manzarek keys. I just loved uh, the doors and no one else does. I don't know why. <laughs> it's crazy too, because he like the, the poetry part of it, like that was, that was such a, a part of that band was, was that he was kind of like this unwilling rock star, almost like a, I'm not saying they're the same, but like a Kurt Cobain where it's like you have this person that wants to write and create, but was just really kind of shying away from, the, the fame trappings of the success yeah. of the project. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the, you know, one of, there's a famous lyric. I, I can't remember what song is. It was it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Soldier or the one where he's like, father, I want to kill you. And then he says, mother, I want to. And then everyone thinks he says, I want to fuck you. And it was like, Whoa, that's crazy. He wants to bang his own mom. I remember in high school where people were talking about it. And that was the thing about him was all about lyrics. But yeah, very similar. There's some parallels there with, with the anti-fame. He definitely didn't, you know, uh, I remember people just wanted to go to watch, see the doors just to see what, if he would whip his dick out, see if he would get arrested. I mean, that was the thing. They became famous because he would get on stage and be hammered and then get arrested and do something, pull his pants down or something and the show would be canceled. Uh, yeah, but once again, tragedy, you know, he died. He was, he's in the 27 club, yep. I think. Uh, I remember I got a, a poster on my wall in my studio and it says that it's the last known photo of Jim Morrison. He's, he's fat. He's got a big beard. He's smoking a cigarette or something in Mexico. And that was, I think that was it. And I think he went to Paris. But yeah, sad. But that's, I mean, the guy was a genius, just like Kurt. It shows Spons. you... It shows you how far rock and roll has come, right? That you were talking about, like, people wanted to go see The Doors to see if he's going to whip his dick out. And then recently, yeah. a female lead singer <laughs> of a band at Welcome to Rockville pees on a fan's face. 
Look at how far yeah. we've come in the equality of rock and roll now. Yeah. I mean, it used to be when he would do it, it would be like, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And now it's like someone does it and they don't even get arrested. And you're like, well, uh, but yeah, uh, that was um, brass against. Yeah. But it was, yeah. I, uh, interesting. I'm curious who that fan was, but he was like, seemed to really enjoy it. He said, I think there was some gargling going on, but that's, yeah, I don't know. It's weird where we become so desensitized that that isn't shock anymore. That's not shock and awe. I mean, I don't know what you got to do now to shock people, but yeah, Jim Morrison was doing that kind of, you know, 50 years ago, I guess. Man. Well, he, she's been banned from NASCAR venues because of it, because yeah. it happened at the Speedway. Obviously. And I like you and I are not even <laughs> able to have this conversation in person because you're in a COVID bubble. Like what kind of COVID protocol is it to pee on a fan's face? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder if he, he there may be some other things you should get tested for. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's her. I'm just saying, you know, like legitimately, I don't know. Well, what. urine is sterile, Tyler. Yeah. Did you not know that? It's oh, that's sterile. true. That's true. Ure- urea is, uh, that's right. That's right. Let me look up in Wikipedia. That's true. <laughs> so much Googling. So much Googling. <laughs> TikTok. TikTok's the new place you go now, supposedly. I don't know. I don't have it, but I was uh, I was cleaning my blender on the bus and uh, I put soap in it. You just put soap in it, you put some water and then you run it and it cleans it. And my dr- uh, Joe, our drummer, was like, did you learn how to do that on TikTok? I'm like, what? No. What, what, is, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, because TikTok is now the place to go. I've learned all your so much on TikTok, cleaning hacks especially. It's unbelievable. There you go. Yeah. So you're saying I should get it just to get some cleaning, some tips. I read something this Maybe. week. Maybe. I'm that- down. I'm, I'm always looking to learn more. Adele has a a secret TikTok account just so that she can go on TikTok and like see what's going on or whatever, but nobody knows it's her. (laughs) That's right. Cause she, yeah, that's smart. I had a, I had a, uh, I still do a secret Facebook account and it's called Tyra (laughs) O'Connell. And it it all stemmed from us trying to trap one of our crew guys because he was on Tinder and we wanted to try to trap him and set him up with this, this girl that didn't exist, this Tyra O'Connell. You were going to catfish him. We were going to catfish him. Yeah. He was on every, every town we would go to, we'd be on Tinder. Even in Russia, even in Russia, he actually brought out, he had two Tinder dates at the same time in Russia and he brought them to like dinner. And I'm like, you, you idiot. (laughs) So we were like, let's catfish this guy. And he's from Boston. So I, I found this girl that I went to, I think went to one of the colleges. She was like a big Boston fan. And I put up like fake photos and stuff, but he was onto us from the very beginning. Tyra O'Connell probably was a bad name to pick. <laughs> it's very Irish, you know, but then since then I've had like my mom and my aunt are like, Tyler, you never get back to me on Facebook. I sent you a thing. I'm like, I don't have a Facebook mom. Yeah, no, you do. I'm like, uh, and then I get a buddy who's like, you know, sends me stuff on Facebook. And I got, I got a few followers on there. <laughs> It's fake. I don't ever check it. It's, there you go. But now I can go on Facebook like like Adele. Yeah, just to see what's going on out there on the interwebs. To see what's going on. That's right. Um, when you're going to be working on new music and kind of writing songs and stuff, can you 
can you kind of tell me what your like tell me what your the process is because one of the things in these conversations that I have been shocked about the most that I've learned from the musicians that I know I always assumed you guys could all read music I always assumed that that was something that you all did as part of your writing process that for some reason I thought musicians all read music and then people like Nuno Betancourt and like Nancy Wilson and Nita Strauss, like all these people have been telling me they're like "Uh, Dean DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots. Like I I can't read music. And I'm like, what can you You think Dean DeLeo could? No, you think those brothers could, they're just so talented. You think those guys probably went to school or something. Yeah. Well, I, you know, like I can read music. I went to, I went to, I went to college and learned how to do music. I hated it. But I don't use it as a process at all, period. I'll, I'll write down A minor to C. You know, that's it. I'll just write down the chords. And if I and if I don't know what the chord is, I'll put like, and there's like uh, this adding, add this or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, to think like way back in the day, like uh, Mozart, those guys would just, they wouldn't even have a piano and they would be able to write music. And then they'd give it to someone and they'd play it. To be able to hear it in your head that way. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you doing it? Working? Are are you writing out lyric ideas first or are you like coming up with riff ideas and then trying to put lyrics on it? Like, how does that work? It's always lyric and melody first. Uh, It used to be riffs, but I don't really write riffs anymore. It's so hard. All the riffs are done. So it's (laughs) tough to go and write riffs. Yes. Can, can I borrow? To, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's usually lyrics and melody. I did just sing on this track for this, uh, this guitar player and she sent me this. Um, she just sent me the music, you know, and then I had to like completely write the, the melodies and the lyrics. And I had a lot of fun because I hadn't been, it'd been years since I actually done something like that where the music was finished first. And then I actually had to go and figure out what would go work work well with the music i almost always do the melody and lyrics first and that's a lot easier just to put the music on afterwards because the music kind of should encapsulate what the vocals are doing so it's not really the first thing you should do it's always kind of like the the message is first lyric is first and then you can kind of wrap around everything else around it that's kind of how i look at it so can you give me the timeline on like what you think theory is going to have going on in 2022 i mean you guys have got to have some kind of a tentative plan right now right yeah i mean we're always trying to book some summer stuff so we'll be out uh about a month in february and march and then should be in the studio in march hopefully have a single out uh early summer and then june we're going over to do some stuff in europe like the, the some festivals over there i think a lot of people kind of go june's kind of europe month for everybody and then when we get back, it'd be great to be on a, a, a big summer tour. Well, you'll, fun, you'll be on the Bitch bands, Fest. Do a big Bitch Fest 2022. <laughs> uh, yeah. You can you can headline. And you know what? If you, yeah, you got to have something like that. Yeah. You it, should seriously look into that. I mean, it'd be great. Yeah. Lucky it, to be a part of it. It would be really cool to be able to put like the Mistress Carrie Festival together. I mean, you know, there's been things like Ozfest and Notfest and that kind of stuff. And obviously, like Lollapalooza is still around, but it's 
like the tour of it, just like that, having that tour package of just all these amazing bands. Um, yeah, I got to find the money. I got to, I'll figure it out. Yeah, it can't be that hard. <laughs> How hard can it be? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All I do is spend all my time in MCHQ now. Like, I, this is where I, I sit in a padded room and talk to myself. Thank God you're on the other end because otherwise I would be insane. Yeah, well, it's nice to catch up with you. Seriously, when I, I got the email, I was like, yeah, I just put 100% I'm down because it's always great to catch up. It's just such weird times. So it's uh, we're so used to doing these Zoom things. I do Yahtzee week every every Sunday. I do Yahtzee with some family members, and it's just a four hour bitch fest. Uh, and you you know you argue about stuff. We don't even get to Yahtzee till like ten p.m. Wait, you're yeah, playing getting... Yahtzee on Zoom with your family on Sundays? Yeah, I haven't been doing it since I've been on tour. It's tough because we play shows on Sunday, but yeah, all of COVID, and I'm. Uh, and yeah, and it's my mom and aunt, uh, and sometimes some other people come on, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. We should, you know, what we should do we should, we should do a rock, rock Yahtzee, rock Roxy. <laughs> we could do a rock Yahtzee. It'd be fun. Well, Jerry Zoom. Cantrell is, you know, he was always that guy with Vinnie Paul that had like the the rock star fantasy football thing. So a rock star game night on like a Monday or a Tuesday when most of you guys aren't gigging would be very cool. This is such a great idea. We should look into it. Yeah. Jerry was big into poker. I know we I've, I've done Joe poker at his house a couple of times, but they should bring that back. We should do some sort of rock game night. This is a, this is a really great idea. We come up with good ideas when we you and I talk together. Came up with this. Yes. <laughs> We've got two gold ideas right already so i think i have a couple more yeah and we see how many see how lazy i am and just i go back to the bus and start watching the bob ross uh <laughs> documentary bitch fest and rockstar game night we're gonna make them happen tyler yeah i will do it i'm down me and dave brenner are have so many ideas that never come to fruition it's crazy <laughs> but we do me and dave do have something that's coming up that's awesome and it has to do with guitar and tv and we're just trying to get it together. And it's been a real pain to try to get it together. But it was uh, it was Dave's passion project that I, I was lucky to be involved with. But I can't wait for you to see it. But I can't really talk about it yet. But I'm excited for it to, to happen so we can show people. But it's awesome. When's it going to be announced? I don't know. It's one of those things like we, we shot a pilot. So uh, we've got to get someone to want to pick it up but yeah uh worst case scenario we got this awesome idea and it's it turned out better than we thought so and there's some people there's, a, there's people you know that are involved with it that are, that are on it so it's, it's gonna be cool that, but i'll let you know yeah let me know when you when you're allowed to announce it let me know i will get to work on uh bitch fest 2022 you start putting the yahtzee tournament together yeah and we'll reconvene in the new year <laughs> yeah Okay, cool. That's all you want for Christmas this year is bitch fest to be put together and rock Yahtzee night. Got it. <laughs> well, it was so good to see you. Thanks for hanging out with me. Um, I'm sorry that we're not hanging out in person, but have a great show tonight. Yes, thank you. And I, and I apologize. It looks like I'm in some sort of prison 
for a mental institute. This is someone's dressing room. I don't know who, whose it is, but their internet works. So, but yeah, it's great to catch up. That's what everybody thinks. It's so glamorous backstage at shows. And right now you're showing that it looks like you're in the hallway of a, like, post-World War II school that yeah. it's like cinder blocks. Yeah, and they, they paint everything that's like the light green because it's supposed, it's supposed to be calming to mental patients or something. You know what I mean? Like, there's not much going on here. There's like a thousand couches. That's seafoam green. Seafoam green. It's yeah. very, very nice. The 50s. And I love that the couches <laughs> are all leather so they can be wiped down. In a in a rock that, star dressing room. That is rule number one. It's disgusting, but it's rule number one. If you're going to put sofas in, a, in the dressing rooms of a venue, it's got to be leather because they have to be wiped down. That's mm-hmm. so gross. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, tell the guys I said hi, and we'll catch up soon. Yes, thank you so much. I will. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Hopefully 2022 is going to be better than the last couple of years for us. I have a lot of high hopes for a lot of the amazing music we're going to get next year, the amazing tours we're going to get next year. We just all got to stay healthy to get there. Yep, 100%. All right, we'll talk to you soon. You too. Thank you. There he is, the one and only Tyler Connolly from Theory of a Dead Man. And if you ever see Rockstar Game Show or Bitch Fest get out on the road, well, you'll know exactly where those brilliant ideas came from. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe and follow so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. And every weekday, you get the sit rep. That's all your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. And if you check the show notes of this episode... You can find Theory of a Dead Man online. You can find Tyler online. And there's a link for the episode's corresponding playlist. I make one for every full-length episode of the podcast, and it's filled with all the music that we talked about. All the Beatles stuff, the Doors stuff, the stuff off Led Zeppelin 2, a ton of Theory of a Dead Man music, and so much more. You'll also find the links to all of my social media and to my website as well. Once again, thanks to our sponsor, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org. And a reminder to check out the official online Mistress Carrie store for all of my really cool merchandise. And it's also available at Joe's Albums in Worcester and Northampton. The Mistress Carrie podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.